step down into darkness open my eyes let me see beauty that made this heart adore you hope of a life spent with you so here I am to worship here I am to bow down Thank you, Lord, for giving us the space and the opportunity to meet with our family this morning. And please send your spirit into this place as we worship you together. In your name I pray. Amen. Suffering I do dream 
to sing for only my Savior but bruised and crushed show God is love and God is just Lost for words, 
Please turn and greet your neighbor. morning. My name is Joe Kate. I'm the pastor here. We're so grateful that you joined us in worship today. This is one of my um, favorite worship spaces in all of my 18 years because of its diversity of where you can sit. You can sit in the crowd. You can sit at the table now if you have coffee or if your child wants to color or if your husband wants to color. We have uh, rocking chairs in the back if you've got a child that you'd like to rock to help them go to sleep and we have bleachers uh, we've got more diverse and more seating in here than in just about any space I've ever been in and I'm grateful for that we want you to feel welcome to use any of it if you're a visitor today we're so grateful that you uh, came to our church we know what a big deal that is to walk into a space that you're not um, certain where you're going I hope you feel welcome we've got a rather unique situation we try to be friendly as possible but we're also trying to avoid flu season as much as possible so we're trying to touch each other as least as possible. You can do a samurai bow, you can do an elbow, you can do, a, um, you can do guns, whatever you want to do. Just um, greet one another and be friendly. Just try to avoid it. I was, I was out this week. Um, poor Addison's got it today. Um, just whatever we can do to not contribute to that, I'd, I'd be grateful for that. We like to frame our announcements in the five practices of fruitful congregations. We try to live these out to the best of our ability. The first of which is radical hospitality. You'll find these announcements uh, more than I'm going to say in your bulletin, but please turn to your bulletin to that section. Let me walk you through things that are significant. Um, you can see our church calendar uh, on the hyperlink there. You want to make sure if you have any questions about our calendar, you go there. Um, if you want to share any contact information with us whatsoever, an attendance register will come by. You can share that uh, information with us, and we'll reach out to you with the information that you give us. Um, we believe in passionate worship. Oh, I'm sorry, one more about radical hospitality, and this is a crazy one. Um, Leanna Morris, if you'll come up. We have a new hire in 2018, and we've hired Leanna Morris to be on our staff. When Leanna Morris was 19 and in college, uh, when Katie Jeter uh, was stepping away from her position, I went out to her home and said, hey, 19-year-old. You've grown up in this program. You've volunteered in this program. How about you run this program in an interim position until we hire our person, which turned out to be Erin Knight? And she went, okay, will do. I said, are you nervous at all? No, nah, no. Nah. Look at her parents. Yeah, yeah, we're nervous. She did a great job. She led VBS and all the volunteers of that. So as a director of connection, she has um, two, we'll, we'll get you the job description, but she has um, two very, uh, significant functions. When somebody visits our church, when she's still finishing North Greenville uh, now, but when she truly starts in the summer, she'll be in the back of both of our worship spaces, and I'll be guiding visitors to her to give them any to give any kind of contact information, any kind of touring. She won't have anywhere to be on Sunday morning like we all scatter to our different spots. She can give tours. She can take people to Sunday school classes. She might come to your Sunday school class to understand more about it. So Leslie Pace is our point guard on our campus. Leanna's going to be our point guard for people yet to be on our campus in a significant way. And so she's going to reach out on our website in every way that we reach out to visitors. She's also going to reach out to our people 
who are currently here after I visit them for pastoral care. And so I go see you in the hospital. She's going to check on you in the next couple days, make sure we don't need to um, do something additionally. So, um, yay. We're glad to have Leanna. So we believe in passionate worship. One of those elements is prayer. Um, so if you have any prayer requests, um, you can raise your hand and a card will be brought to you. You can fill it out. You can also call the number that's there 24-7, and it's especially important that you call it when um, you figure the office is closed for any reason, for office hours or for bad weather like we had this week. We get it immediately, wherever we are, so use that number. Uh, and I encourage you to put it on your refrigerator, use it anytime. We believe in intentional faith development, and you see that we're starting to look at things for uh, the summer. Children, youth, and adults are here tonight, uh, starting with Sunday night programming, so um, we encourage you to come all levels. The, um, the semester builds on itself, but every week stands on its own in a way that you can come for the first time any week and pick up where we are. Um, and you can see the youth schedule. We believe in intentional and uh, risk-taking mission and service, and you see the next project. Uh, that we're going to take up. It's going to be providing food for students who are, are not secure in where their next meal is coming. Uh, so you see that paragraph that's there. That's coming from mission and service. We believe in extravagant generosity, and you'll see that in your bulletin as well. Uh, so please take that home with you. We've got plenty um, so that you can have all of our announcements and know what's going on. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're here. We made it. Bring our minds here. Bring our spirits here. Calm them both, including me. That we can simply declare your message in every element of this service. That as we come into this service weary or anxious or excited, we may feel the passion and the love and the commitment that you've given to us in our prayers, in our songs, in our reading of scripture, in our proclamation. Use every tool at your disposal, Lord, to reach us that we can honor and glorify you this day. Lead us, Lord, as we pray the prayer your son taught us disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So today we're reading Jonah chapter 3. It's a tiny book. We read the first two chapters the last two weeks. Essentially, God sends the prophet to Jonah whose job is to go to a nation to tell them that they need to turn around, that they need to fix it, that they need to elevate their behavior. And he doesn't want to do it. He runs because he hates them. Doesn't want to help the people of Nineveh. Doesn't want them to elevate their behavior. He's thrown out of a ship because he knows that the storm that's caused by his presence being there is, uh, is, can only be rectified by him being tossed out of that ship. He's swallowed by a whale, and in chapter 2, in the whale, he prays and says, my goodness, I got sideways. 
I don't know how it happened, and I'm sorry, but I want to fix it. I want to make it right. I want to be clear. I want to be focused. And the end of the chapter spits him out on land to go speak to the people of Nineveh. And that's what we're doing in chapter 3. Okay, but what we're going to talk about today is failure and numbers. That's your first phrase. So many times, failure or success is tied to numbers, right? What are some of the numbers that have defined your job? What are some of the numbers that have defined your relationship? What are some of the numbers that define a church and whether they are succeeding or failing and how do they shift? Whatever they are, they're everywhere. I thought I'd get three public figures who are entirely different to set the stage for what we're going to talk about today, failure in numbers. The first of which is Winston Churchill. Um, I've been, uh, uh, goes, uh, you know, the book's better than the movie. You, you hear people say this? I've never known that um, because I don't read a lot. And Jim Gaffigan, one of my favorite comedians, says, you know what was great about the movie? No reading. It was amazing. But I found a solution. Audible. Audible will read you the book as you're doing something else. So I've been listening to the book that's the inspiration for the Winston Churchill movie that's out. So technically, I'm reading the book uh, that's connected to that movie. And of course, I've heard a ton about his success and significance in World War II. Do you know they had complete failures in World War I? Complete failures in World War I. A long, drawn-out campaign that cost hundreds of thousands of lives that could have derailed his career and never had another opportunity. And had he not had another opportunity, maybe he doesn't lead them to success in World War II. It's crazy how thin that line is, how delicate it is, whether you get another chance based on failure. Let's look at another one. Oprah Renfrey was a television icon, had a strong start as a news uh, person in Nashville, so strong that she immediately got another job, I think it was in Baltimore, and flopped in Baltimore and was fired. Now, if you have such success so quickly that you're picked up to a much bigger job in very short order, which you've seen in every phase of employment, and then you immediately get fired, what are the chances that you start again? What are the chances that you never start again? No telling. Let's look at the next one. That's Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is wearing a Browns jacket. One of the most struggling NFL teams in modern history. And now, I'm hoping, like, if I talk about teams that are not connected to us, I'm not hurting anybody's feelings, right? One of the most successful coaches in NFL history was an employee of one of the most struggling franchises in modern history, but was fired. Isn't that crazy? And you know that they're thinking, oh, what we could have done. But in, as they were completely turning around that team, the owner wanted to sell the team, oh, I'm sorry, move the team from Cleveland to Baltimore. 
They ultimately won a Super Bowl in Baltimore, and this franchise was left behind, and his coaching tree was dismantled. You know who was on that coaching staff that was fired by the Cleveland Browns that day? Nick Saban, who then went to Alabama, who has done what they have done. Over and over and over again, someone is terminated or quits, is angry, whatever reason, and failure is attached to numbers. In fact, Bill Parcells got a job with the Jets, hired Belichick after that, and wanted him to be his successor. Had a press conference where Bill Belichick was hired after he stepped down. He said, this is my protege. Now the Jets have Bill Belichick. And Bill Belichick stepped up at the press conference and said, I don't think this is for me, I quit. Quit the Jets. 24 hours into his job. You imagine how fragile another chance is for another individual and the significance of going through that and having another opportunity. I bring that up because Jonah failed so mightily in chapter 1 and prayed so hard in chapter 2 and now has a second chance in chapter 3. Jonah chapter, should say 3, I'm sorry, verse 1. I'm going to read just a short part. The Lord's word came to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to Nineveh, that great city, and declare against it the proclamation that I'm commanding you. So that's your first, uh, second phrase. And every time, these phrases have to do with numbers. A second time. You think about the times that you've gotten a second chance. I've documented many times in which I went to that new church restart, and if it were a car, I would have redlined it on the RPMs my entire four years there. Just gas to the floor. Financially, all the changes that we made, all the uh, uh, changes in direction of the building, everything that we did, I said, we're going to do it 175 miles an hour because I'm 29. Let's go. Right? And you redline an engine long enough, and what happens? No one can take it, including me. Now, some people would say in these two and a half years, there have been a ton of changes, and we've done a lot, but it wasn't close. And my patience wasn't close to what it is now, which is a little frightening, as I don't have much patience now. But you get that second chance, a second opportunity, another way to lead and serve in the way that you were hoping to do, you will never, ever forget it and take it for granted. Even to get a first chance. What does that second chance mean to Jonah? What does that second chance mean to those people that we mentioned before? And I have to frequently say to my children, go do the thing that I told you to do five minutes ago. Is that, is that just in our household? Is it, what about spouses? How, how does that go? How many times do you normally have to tell the spouse before that sinks in? What about students? Teachers? Do, do students, are they, are they getting that on, on that first try? How about employees? 
How about bosses? Are bosses listening when we're speaking? I don't know. A second chance. This is God speaking. Hey, Jonah, you got another chance. Let's go. Let's get going as I'm commanding you. Verse 3. And Jonah got up and went to Nineveh. That's what any parent would hope for. According to the Lord's word, now Nineveh was indeed an enormous city, a three days walk across. Jonah started, started into the city walking one day, and he cried out, just 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and put on mourning clothes from the greatest of them to the least significant. How big a deal do you think that is? For people to listen to a prophet. Here's your next phrase. 40 is always a journey. You hear the number 40 in the Bible, and it's going to be a journey. Noah had 40 days and 40 nights of rain. Moses and the Israelites, <laughs> it sounds like a um, band. Moses and the Israelites wandered around the desert for 40 years. 40 years. There are 40 chapters in the book of Exodus. The story of the people going from being enslaved to being released to running for their very lives to wandering around to finding the promised land. Jesus was in the desert fasting for 40 days. So Jonah, you think about the cities that you've truly walked through. Doesn't, doesn't Manhattan stick out more than any? Don't you do more walking? Because you don't want to miss anything in the subways down below. It's not like Chicago where you can see it as you're riding. You walk through, think if you had to walk through Manhattan and tell everybody something. What, what would you think about your task in doing that? So he goes into the city and he says, 40 more days if y'all don't fix it. This is all coming down. And the people respond. The people said, okay. You know how many people listen to prophets? Not a ton. How many people have trainers in a gym out of a hundred in society? How many people listen to a person that's on that five-minute bit on the Today Show saying, here's five healthy tips that you can take in 2018? And you look down and you go, oh yeah, I'm in. And then you do it. Or are you watching those five minutes and you go, God, that seems like a really great idea. Anyway, I gotta go. As you eat oatmeal and, and get your cell phone. Listening to a prophet is far from a given. It's actually a given that people don't listen to prophets. Prophets who desperately want to speak to their people of Israel and people who are accustomed to a prophet speaking to them rarely have success in any sort of transformation. This is a prophet who's reluctant to speak to a group of people. And a group of people who you would imagine would be reluctant to even listen to anything you'd have to say, much less change anything. It's always a journey. It's going to take 40 days. It's going to take 40 months. It's going to take 40 years before these people find it. Nope, actually we're doing it today. We're changing today. 
Can you think of an instance where that happened to you? Where something happened that was so significant that you never again did whatever it was. Uh, my father in his 40s had a carotid artery blockage. It's like 100 here and 90 here. I don't know how you, like, how do you even live? He stopped smoking that day. Done. Doesn't it take something crazy like that? Most often, this is just a man coming through town telling them, and these people are changing. No pain, no sacrifice, no anger, no hunger, no thirst. They're just believing him and following along. That's crazy. Verse 6 is crazier. When word of it reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, stripped himself of his robe, covered himself up with mourning clothes, and sat in ashes. Then he announced, In Nineveh, by decree of the king and his officials, neither human nor animal, cattle nor flock will taste anything, no grazing and no drinking water. Let humans and animals alike put on mourning clothes, let them call upon God forcefully and let all persons stop their evil behavior and the violence that's under their control. He thought, who knows? God may see this and turn from his wrath so that we might not perish. God saw what they were doing, that they had ceased their evil behavior, so God stopped planning to destroy them and he didn't do it. Next phrase. Three significant things. Number 40, a second chance. And three significant things that that king did. No throne. What's the point of a throne? Anybody watch Game of Thrones? You, you're in this massive space that you make as tall as humanly possible with as big a chair as possible, with as many soldiers as possible, with as many uh, 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 dignitaries, what, what do you call those people out there, when, in crazy uniforms as possible. Why? So that people walking into that space feel small, feel like they're out of their league, feel intimidated, and are inclined to kneel in front of that person. That's why you do that. It's classic. Doesn't want a throne. Which means what? He doesn't want any of that. He says, I don't, I don't, I don't want all that stuff. I'm changing it all. No robe. That robe, that garb, Anything he has, the rings that he has, the shoes that he has, the people that he has following behind him, like a bride right before going down the aisle, are all designed to show that he is set apart from anyone else as well. There's the intimidating part, and there's the set apart from everyone as well. He don't want a robe anymore either. And then he sits down in ashes. What's the significance of that? You know, when, when we come forward... On Ash Wednesday, which isn't long from now, it's the start of the season of Lent, we place the ashes on our forehead. 
And those ashes are burned palm leaves from Palm Sunday the previous year. A Sunday in which we celebrate a crowd that was welcoming Jesus into town and waving palm branches. Excited that he was there, treating him like royalty, when only a couple days later they'd be outside of Pontius Pilate's house and saying, no, nah, no, we want Barabbas and kill him. That crowd is so fickle and turned so fast and caused his death, participated in it all as we would if we were there. We burn those palm fronds, we place them on our foreheads, and we say, to ashes you will return. We become aware of our shortcomings and the way in which we've impeded what Jesus was trying to do. And we become aware of our own death and the significance of the life that we have, the window that we have in order to do something significant. He sat down in ashes. So I don't want anything intimidating. I don't want to be set apart. And I want to reflect on the ways in which I have fallen short. You see kings do that? How do kings typically respond in the Bible? Like a lot of kings that have ever been. They want to protect their power. They're twitchy because they know that somebody else wants their seat. And so somebody's always trying to poison them. They're trying to push anybody out. They're trying to conquer the nation beside them. If they conquer the nation beside them, they want to conquer the next nation. I want to have more and more because I'm frightened from my very life and the only way I can protect it is to set myself apart to make you intimidated and to expand my land beyond all possible imagination. He doesn't want that. He simply wants to be fragile before God. So is that a king thing? Or do we do that too? Do we create barriers? Do we make sure that people know their place when they're around us? Do we forget our own fears and failures and shortcomings and just try to expand out to get what we want to try to hold it at bay? That desire to be fragile is such a significant component of a faithful, joyful life in the name of God because you're no longer obsessed with protecting. You're no longer obsessed with gaining. You're instead wanting to understand how can I participate. The fishermen found it on the boat in chapter 1 when they were trying to paddle. Jonah found it in the whale when he said, my goodness, I've gotten sideways. The people found it when uh, um, Jonah was coming through town. And the king found it when he heard what the people were saying. So let's go to your last phrase. Success in numbers. Most often we think of the numbers that will help reflect that we've done an amazing job. Don't we? And we want to be affirmed in the fact that we've done an amazing job. There's a lyric that we sang in the first song. I'll never know how much it cost. And so we get chances to overcome that tendency in the workforce, in parenting, and in church 
because we one day occupy that spot and we go, whoa, I can't believe that person did that. I can't believe that person did that for me. We can't know this one. We cannot get there. We can't understand it because we're human. But I tell you, a tremendous step that we could take is to say, my goodness, I, I don't know. I can't imagine how much it cost. So I'm just going to try to live my life in sacrifice in response to the cost that you paid. In response to the love that you showed. A season of Lent is coming. A journey of 40 days in which we try to determine what are the things that we can cut out so that we can further follow our God. This is such an amazing chapter to set the tone for that. And I'm grateful, whether it's, um, whether it's deeply connected to the history of human beings or whether it's a parable to um, connect us to a point, the significance is what happened and what we can learn from it. Next week in chapter 4, we're going to look at the response of Jonah to these people, their amazing transformation, and what God decides to do with that. If you please uh, stand as you're able and join us with our modern affirmation. These are words um, that we at Memorial uh, take comfort in. You're certainly welcome to join us with them. Uh, you're certainly welcome to listen and see how you feel. We believe in God the Father infinite in wisdom, power, and love, whose mercy is over all his works and whose will is directed to his children's good. We believe in Jesus Christ, Son of God and Son of Man, the gift of the Father's unfailing grace, the ground of our hope, and the promise of God fulfilled. We believe in the Holy Spirit as the divine presence in our lives, reminding us always of the truth of Christ our inspiration and strength in times of joy and sorrow. We believe our faith should be apparent in our words of love and acts of service, that the kingdom of God may be a present reality here on earth. In our words of love and acts of service, would someone know that you're a Christian based on your words of love and acts of service in this community? We can always get better. Please be seated. It's now time for our offering. You can give as the plate goes by. You can give uh, electronically with instructions in the bulletin. And if you're new to us, we certainly don't expect you to give. You can rely on the generosity of our people.
Please stand and sing this last one with us. Save forever, author 
announcements tonight. The children have an amazing fun announcement tonight in the children's choir, so make sure they're there. Congratulate Leanna if you see her, and just bow to one another uh, rather than touching one another's hands. Go in peace, go in grace, go in love, deliver those things outside this, outside this building to the community. Amen. Have a great week.